0: I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menunos. Hello, hello, everybody. We are back for part two of our interview with Brian Mahan about his book, I Cried All the Way to Happy Hour. We are talking all about anger and boundaries in this episode something that has been very helpful to me in my journey. Um, I'm like a kindergartner in the setting boundaries uh, arena. And uh, I think, no, I've graduated to maybe like third grade now. I'm getting there. I'm I feel like there.
1: you're even, I'd even give you fifth.
0: Thanks, Queen.
1: You're welcome. Okay. Well, yeah. it's
0: feeling good. I know <laughs> that you've been borrowing the benefits. So what grade Absolutely. are you at?
1: Absolutely. Um, That's a good question. Maybe I'm at third. Okay. But like better than kindergarten.
0: Hey. We're getting there. I'll take it. We're getting better every day.
1: Yeah. And Pooji's really good at boundaries. I oftentimes will send her things if I'm like, I need to respond to something. She, she is, she, both
2: of you. She has a
0: master's degree. She really does. <laughs> no, she I She
2: a PhD up in this field. I wish. Now this, I mean, all the stuff we've been learning has been helping me so much. You're good though. You know what? I think it
0: probably for you reinforces some things and maybe strengthens, right?
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm still learning like a lot of new things. Like stuff we've talked about in this episode. Um, so no, I, I'm learning and growing too. We're all learning and growing so together. Maybe, together. maybe together. she's an
1: undergrad working on her <laughs> master's.
0: <laughs> uh, before we get into the episode, friends, uh, as you know, we have our new and amazing website up, mariamenunos.com. You can get the cliff notes for every episode there in the Life Hacks blogs. Also, there's some lifestyle Life Hacks blogs because we're sharing everything that makes my life easier and that I love and I use and that are in my cabinets and in my drawers in there. Um, And then I'm remembering new things every day. I added some more to the list recently because that three barrel, um, hair curling iron. I finally just bought. It was like thirty-two dollars on Amazon.
1: Oh my gosh! You have to send me the link from Hot
0: Tools. I, well, love I gotta it. try it first, make sure we love it. <sighs> okay, okay, and then okay. I'll send you the link. But um, but there's always stuff that we're adding there. But the new shop page is new and improved. We are adding captions in there, so you'll understand why I love certain things and what it is about that product that makes it different than anything else. So that you're not just seeing random products up there. Um, I like to explain things. So we are hard at work at that, but um, make it your destination. Sign up for the newsletter. We do great giveaways with really great products in there um, that I love and also some really good, helpful information each week to keep you on track. So all of these experts are sharing their information in there and so much more. So um, join us. At com. In the meantime, let's get into part two with Brian Mahan. We have some heel Squad questions. Cool. Um, hey, heel Squad. One of the questions was, Maria has mentioned there were times in her career where she felt like she had to shrink herself. What are some ways you can navigate that in the workplace, but also just in life?
3: Well, I think that that's ultimately a boundary question. Mm. Right? <laughs> we- Shocking. <laughs> We have, right? um, you know, and, and as Maria knows, we cannot talk about boundaries without talking about anger mm-hmm. and healthy aggression. But, um, you know, as I've said already, this idea of shrinking is trying to fit in and belong, right? You don't want to step on anybody's toes. You don't want to outshine anybody or whatever your definition or experience of shrinking is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's a boundary issue. Because you are kowtowing, you are diminishing, making yourself smaller, quieter in the background so that you will remain in favor in that environment.
0: And survive.
3: And survive. And then there's this other place where when you have the extraordinary clarity and experience over time of the affirmation and confirmation of your right, you're wrong you're good you're bads your values what you don't value what your needs are what you don't need what what matters to you what doesn't matter to you when you really have that sense of clarity then you have what we call self esteem and self confidence and you're self contained you're okay with who you are regardless of who you're around so it doesn't matter if you're with the queen or the horseman you're still you You understand that there's a different way to behave with the queen and there's a different way to behave with the horseman, but you're still you.
0: Okay. So how do you navigate it in the workplace? How do you not shrink yourself and still survive and then potentially thrive?
3: Well, in the in the workplace, we have to recognize that it is tribal. It's a group of people that come together with a common you know uh, mission. there's certain kinds of behaviors that are carried out in the workplace and there's also a hierarchy. Shame is used in every culture to socialize children to form tribe, to protect tribe, to establish power and to maintain hierarchy. and so, we want to be able to respect our bosses and the people above us. And we also want to be able to protect our own sense of what's right and wrong. So if we're being mistreated, we need to be able to recognize that at the at the first blush and be able to find a way to repair that. And so that's a different approach than... Um, you know, I'm going to fight back and call him out on what he said to me. There's a, there's a difference between saying, okay, so my boundary just got breached. I was just disrespected. I don't want to be disrespected and I don't want to let that go because that's going to create resentment within me. And if it continues to happen, the resentment upon resentment builds in a rage. And one day I may go into work and get postal. Right. And I don't want to lose my job. So we want to catch it soon and we want to be able to communicate effectively. Hey, um, boss man, uh, I'm wondering if we might be able to have a chat sometime this week or next week, just five minutes. uh, When would be a good time for you? Now, the important thing in that is that you're not going to be catching them off guard and blindsiding them because any time in communication, when someone suddenly catches us off guard confronts us on something, we're gonna go into our automatic default defense response. And some people freeze and shut down, some people run away and some people fight. And so you want to, you don't wanna engage somebody's defense response. So you say, can we meet and talk about something in a few days or a week from now? Now they've got some power, right? So they don't feel um, like they're gonna be blindsided. And then you come to that meeting with the intention to repair.
0: That's a really big distinction.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I want to have a reparative and corrective experience here. I want to be able to recognize that I have needs and desires, the need to be respected and the desire to be respected by you. And how do I express that without it being confrontational, punitive um, an ask a contract, a demand? And it can be as simple as what I just said. Hey, Mr. Bossman, the other day something happened and I don't think it's even important to go into the details of it. But what happened inside of me was I felt this sense of disrespect. And I really have a strong desire to feel respected in the workplace because I wanna come to work every day feeling empowered and ready and part of the team and motivated to do my best job. Then, whether he's able to take that in, whether he's able to to uh, recognize that as one thing, but you're also opening it up for him to recognize. Oh, I behaved in a disrespectful way. I should be a little bit more aware of that. In the work culture nowadays, especially, there's a lot of you know concern about um, you know proper behavior in the workplace. Um, and so he gets to put himself in check, and then he gets to figure out how can I show up in ways in which I'm showing others respect? And so you're giving him the opportunity to perhaps heal something within himself mm-hmm. and also have that, um, uh, you know, spread throughout the, the culture and the office. So and the all keys you-
0: in there are, are addressing it in a non punitive way, which I think for all of us, when our boundaries are breached, we're so angry Because usually that's just the pattern we have. So now there's just a whole reserve anger in there too, that now they're going to get the brunt of 20 years of boundaries being breached, that they only deserve that one little one. Right. Right. So if your family had been doing it forever, now you're putting, you know, all of it on, you know, you. Um, So it's not being punitive. It's not discussing the details and circumstances like you've taught me. It's not about the details. You don't have to keep rehashing the story, which is all I've ever done. And then this happened and then that happened. And then do, 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 do,
3: and I didn't know what I was doing. And then you just go back into escalation. It just starts blowing up again.
0: And then they looked at you like you're a crazy person mm-hmm. and they don't respect you. And then, um, so it's the, de- not hashing out the details, not being punitive towards the person, giving them an opportunity to repair. And, um,
3: just simply expressing, I have a your desire, needs and desires. Or, I have a need. Yeah. Right. And you don't even you don't even have to put it in in great detail. Yeah. Because if you start putting it in great detail, what sometimes you're doing is trying to show, well, see, if you did it this way, the, you know, because this is how it happened. And I'm going to tell you how to do it better. You don't even want to do that because that's punitive. Mm-hmm. That's that's pointing out what where their transgression was. So you just want to be able to state it. I want to feel respected in the workplace because I want to show up feeling really good and positive and motivated to do my best job and be a team player.
0: So it's not about them. It's about what you need.
3: Exactly. I love that.
0: Um, The last question they had is how do you let go of shame? Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you.
3: (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, you know, anytime we're working with any wound whatsoever, whether it's shame or trauma, there are two things that ultimately have to happen. One is we have to be able to go back into the the disorganization or the stuckness or whatever around that original wound, right? We want to go in and Physically, physiologically work with it when there's enough reorganization around that original wounding experience. And we're also having reparative and corrective experiences in the present day. Meaning? Meaning um, I have this belief that I'm unworthy because I had this experience when I was a child of being told I was, you know, I'm never going to amount to anything. Right. So I took on this belief. I'm never going to amount to anything. And so that has impacted and affected my life all throughout my life. I'm never going to amount to anything. So then I start to turn, I, you know, as an adult, I'm like, I don't believe that. I am worthy. I'm going to do something great in my life. So we start having these reparative and corrective experiences. And so every time we make a little progress, we have a, you know, a, a, what I call many, mini wins, right? So every time we have a mini win, we celebrate that. So we're getting this kind of dopamine rush and this is all part of neuroplasticity of change of how our brains rewire, right? So we have this, um, this, this, this little win and we celebrate it and we're working on the original wounds. When there's enough of all of that going on, the old limiting belief gets called into question and it falls away. So we're not working on changing the beliefs, but the beliefs are changing because of the work we're doing. hmm Right. And so it's the same with shame. How do we get rid of shame? We have to go back into the original wounds and feel into the discomfort of one of the most horrible feelings for a human being the shame. We have to be able to work with that. There are also some techniques because we can work in the imaginal realm to go through processes of giving the shame back or going into these experiences and reimagining them because. The cool thing is if if we can become traumatized by things we perceive, things that aren't actually happening to us, right? I was traumatized by going to see the movie, The Exorcist when I was eight years old, right? So if we can become traumatized by things that aren't real and don't exist in our reality, then that shows that we can work with the imaginal realm as a healing modality. And so that's one way that we can rework and, you know, some of these original wounds is by reimagining, changing their outcomes or.
0: When uh, you say working in the imaginal realm, will you explain that?
3: Yeah, uh, going back into the event and imagining a different outcome or imagining a protector showing up, whether it was a power animal or a superhero or a historical figure or somebody who is actually in your life. Uh, even now, like you could say your husband, you know, you're three years old or five years old, and you can have your husband come in and protect you, or you can imagine yourself as an adult going back into that situation to protect the younger part of you. So, the lower, the key to working imaginally is that we need to anchor it into the body. We need to feel the feelings of what that's like, because then it becomes real. Our lower brain doesn't know the difference between perception and reality. And so, the lower brain governs the autonomic nervous system, which is where we feel our feelings and feel the sensations. And so, if we're in the imaginal realm, And we have the physiological experience of that imagination. Just like a regular memory. When you have a memory, you have emotional reactions to it. Mm -hmm. You're having a very real experience of that memory. Even though it's not happening again, your lower brain is interpreting it as happening again. And that's why you're having the tears. So that's why you're laughing Mm -hmm. when you have that memory. And so we can go in, work with the imaginal realm in a sentient way, connecting it into the body and reimagine and rework the endings of events that, you know, ended up tragically. Um, and we can go back in to, you know, each little nuance, uh, each little moment within a memory and rework and reimagine it, right? So like in my car wreck, one, one thing that stood out for me was, and it happened very organically, as we went into the part of the 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 wreck where my car was rolling across three lanes of traffic, I suddenly started to feel this extraordinary rage at what had happened. And I, in in this memory, I suddenly morphed into like the Incredible Hulk and I pulled myself out the window and I started riding the top of the car like a logger, you know? And so the car is rolling down the freeway and I start picking up cars um, from either side of mine as it's rolling down the freeway and and I threw a car and it landed on the car that hit me, and I saw it explode. And I grabbed another car, and I threw it on the other car that was racing, and it landed and exploded. And and then I was in this kind of you know uh, 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 celebration, this this victory dance as I'm still riding the car, you know, like a locker, and I'm screaming and yelling, you know, Aah! you know. And it was transformative. It was absolutely transformative. So. That's a kind of an extreme example, but we can uh, work with the imaginal realm in all kinds of ways.
0: I love it. Um, before I let you go, you talked about boundaries. You said we can't talk about boundaries without talking about anger. Um, I'd love for all the benefit of the women listening to understand um, potentially for the most of us, are a lack of relationship to anger.
3: <laughs> and right. that... It's not that we have a lack of relationship, it's just that it's inhibited, mm-hmm. right? One of the things that's interesting around anger, and, and I, I don't want to say especially, but oftentimes with women, is they'll default to sadness rather than anger. So for, you know, 17 years, I've had so many people in front of me sobbing, and the words that come out of their mouth is, I'm so angry. Because anger, we have these beliefs around that it's not okay to have, it's dangerous to express it because if I express it, I hurt someone or I end up getting hurt, like if I express my anger, the anger comes back at me as so big and so overwhelming (coughs) that it's not safe for me to express that anger. So we have all these beliefs, (coughs) excuse me, that are inhibiting our anger. Um, But without anger, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the spectrum. Because we said we live in a polarized universe. One end of the spectrum of anger is how we normally think of it. Homicidal rage, suicidal ideation, harm of other, harm of self. So then if we're looking at the polarity, that would be care of other, protection of other, care of self, protection of self. So in order to care for ourselves and to self-preserve, in order to care for others and protect others, we need to have healthy aggression. We need to have healthy anger. Now, if I have healthy anger, healthy aggression, what am I doing in self-care and self-preservation is I'm setting boundaries. If I can set these boundaries and, um, and protect them, then I have a stronger sense of self-confidence and self-esteem because I'm self-preserving. I'm capable of taking care of myself. I'm, I'm capable of having a voice and expressing it in ways in which it can be received. And that's part of, you know, really effective communication is understanding that it's not so much what we say or what our intention is. It's how it lands in the other person. And so when we can figure out how to express things, even through healthy aggression or healthy anger, um, please don't, or or, or, um, I will not uh, enter into an argument tonight. I'm happy to have a conversation. And then if things start to escalate or somebody's voice starts to get louder, and you can express that same thing. I would appreciate it if you didn't raise your voice with me. So you're continuing to raise your voice with me. And now I need to tell you that I've already told you that I don't want to be in a situation where I'm being yelled at. And so if you continue, I'm gonna have to leave. If the yelling continues, then you protect the boundary. And you say, you know, I'm sorry, I've mentioned this twice. I really would like to talk. I would like to sort this out, but obviously this is not the right time and place. So I'm going to leave and we can find another time to revisit this. And then you have to follow through on that boundary and the protection of that boundary, because when our boundaries are crossed, there's consequence. But sometimes we need to communicate what that consequence is. So that the other person really has a clear understanding. A lot of times we assume that people know what our boundaries are. And so that's why it's rather important that we also be able to understand what they are for ourselves and then also be able to express them.
0: how do you start applying them and protecting them?
3: Well, start with yourself. Find your own sense of boundary. Like if, you're, uh, if we're looking at boundaries as self-care and self-preservation, how are you taking care of yourself? What's your self-care routine like? Can you create and start setting boundaries for yourself? So if you want to get into better shape, you have to set boundaries around the food you put in your body. There are going to be foods that you want to put in your body and foods that you don't want to put in your body. So start to develop the boundaries around that. If you want to get into better shape, you might probably also want to exercise. So start putting boundaries into place around your time. Put it in your calendar. Create that boundary of blocking out that time in your calendar. Hold that boundary and not allow anything or anyone to come between you and those appointments that you put in the calendar to go to the gym then make sure that you go to the gym. It doesn't even matter whether or not you've gone to the gym and you've given it 110%. Sometimes it's just a matter of, and I got there and I spent 20 minutes and I left, but at least that was moving the needle. It was moving me in the direction of, I didn't have to be, you know, Xena warrior princess every single time I go in to work out. Um, it sometimes it's just a matter of i held, I set the boundary of that i was going to go to the gym at this time and i made it to the gym
0: and i didn't cancel I, it for something else
3: and i didn't cancel it for something else and i wasn't able to give it my best but that's okay there's always the next day right so start with setting boundaries for yourself and as you start to set boundaries for yourself you're going to notice that they kind of bleed over into boundaries with other people because if you put this put these appointments in your calendar to go to the gym and your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids are wanting to encroach upon that time and say, I want to go here. or I want to do this. You get to say, okay, you get to go do that. If you can find another way, because I can't help you at that time, because I'm, I have an appointment for me to take care of myself.
1: I like so that. it's
3: <clears throat> being diligent about your own self care, and in doing so, it's going to start impacting and affecting the people around you. Yeah. And one thing I will say about boundaries, as you start to set them, is your relationships are going to change. Your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with other people, and sometimes some relationships may not last.
0: But they're not the ones those who are relationships- supposed to be there.
3: Exactly. Because those relationships are based on you not having boundaries.
0: Yes. Um, One of the things that Brian taught me that was really helpful in my boundary journey was because I instantly was like, I have none. Clearly I have none. And he's like, yeah, you do. You have boundaries. He's like, don't you have boundaries about what you put in your, your body? I'm like, oh yeah, I do actually. And he's like, don't you have other boundaries? And I was like, okay, I'm not boundaryless because at some point you go extreme and you think, I'm awful, I'm terrible, I don't have any. Um, so it was really helpful for me to know that I did have some because then I started to identify them. And that helped me realize, oh, I do have, you know, my own will and, you know, the ability to do this. And then it was easy to start doing it. And as you said, practice. Practicing on in in circumstances where you know, there isn't going to be any kind of negative reaction, perhaps, Um, you know, kind of dipping your toe into something and then seeing that there was nothing bad that came from it. And then you can keep building off of it.
3: And that's really key. Two things. One is the number one reason why we don't set boundaries is because we're concerned about how it's going to affect somebody else. So right there, you're not putting yourself in the equation. But what about how it affects you? And not have this boundary in place. The other reason we don't set boundaries is because we're afraid of how we're going to be judged or how we're going to be reacted to. And again, if somebody's going to react badly to the fact that you're taking care of yourself and that you're establishing healthy boundary for your yeses and noes, and your rights and wrongs, and your good and bads, then you might want to take a look at that relationship, right? And then, what's really important as you're going through this process, when you set the boundary, notice nothing bad happened. And not only did nothing bad happen, something good came out of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's a two-step check you wanna do as you set boundaries. Did anything bad happen as a result of me setting this boundary? And what good has happened as a result of me setting this boundary? And then when you're in the recognition of, wow, I set a boundary and something good happened. Happy Yeah, dance.
0: Celebrate, right? baby.
3: <laughs> Celebrate. Give yourself a little dopamine. Yeah, because those wins build up, like
0: you said, you got to build up your wins. Yeah. yeah. So, So in setting your boundaries, it's about expressing your needs and desires. That's it. That's it. And then protecting it, like you said. If it's breached, you have to follow through.
3: Yeah, this breach. You have to acknowledge that it's been breached. Because a lot of people don't even recognize they're crossing your boundaries.
0: So what happens for the heel squatter who's listening to this, who's thinking, okay, well, what if it's my boss and they continuously are breaching this boundary that I have set, but I need the job. I can't leave. I need the money.
3: Well, um, then start doing the legwork while you have the job to get another job in place that's what because I <laughs> you got to take care of you boo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And if you are expressing your boundaries and you are acknowledging when those boundaries are being breached and it continues to happen, it's going to build resentment upon resentment, which is going to turn into rage. And if you're stuffing all of that rage, holding on to anger, is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. So if this just keeps going and it's just a toxic environment, the question is, well, what do you think about yourself? I get you need to have a job. If you care about yourself and you need to have a job, then find another job. And I know that that sounds perhaps a little flippant because in some environments there aren't a lot of jobs available, but maybe that's also part of where your learning edge and growth edge and healing edge is, and your own sense of, of self care and self preservation and, 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 um, making sure that you are taking care of you. And if that means you have to move, if that means you have to learn a new skill, if that you know, this is all coming up and happening for you. It's showing you where your learning edge and your growth edge and your healing edges are. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy because quite frankly, none of us heal cozied up on the couch with a cup of chamomile. Hmm. We heal when we're uncomfortable. We have to be willing to feel
0: I think back, and and as you said, it sounds a little flippant, but my dad was a maintenance worker, janitor, and I know when he was fed up, I mean, he would just say it, and he didn't care, and he didn't speak the language, and then eventually spoke broken English, and, you know. So it wasn't like he had a lot of options where people were going to be. He was going to be in positions of high respect, but he did at some point draw the line, and people respected him. Ironically, what happens is when you put someone in their place, (laughs) most of the time things change. I've had those moments where those few moments when I stood up for myself and their reaction was not what I thought.
3: Did you put them in their place or did you put yourself in your place? A
0: hundred percent. You're right. Yes. It was me saying, You know, I had this one moment with um, a really toxic boss and she and another head exec got on the phone with me and they, you know, there was one nice and then the good cop, bad cop kind of thing. And she's like, well, maybe this isn't the right fit. And this is normally where I would go scared because I have to pay for my parents. I have to take care of everybody. And I was like, yeah, maybe it isn't. I don't know what came over me. I was like, yeah, maybe it isn't. (laughs) And the tone and the energy just changed because here I was thinking all along that what they, what they made me believe is that I was lucky to be there. But the reality Mm -hmm. was I was bringing up ratings and I was the value. I just didn't value me. Exactly. And so when I did, everything changed everything changed for that second. It was a toxic environment, no matter what. So I had to dig right. my hole and escape like the kind Monte Cristo or, you know, didn't they dig a right. hole in so Shawshank you, Redemption too?
3: <laughs> you stood up for your, you, you put yourself in your place mm-hmm. and you recognize, and this is a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. So I need this job. I need this money. I'm going to stick it out here And I'm going to start figuring out my side hustle. I'm going to start figuring out what that next job is. I'm going to take, you know, so that there is no transition. I don't have to go postal and blow it all up Mm -hmm. and then go scrambling, right? I can take care of me. I can hold my boundaries. I can hold my sense of self and my self esteem in this toxic environment and hold these healthy boundaries until I'm ready to make the transition on my own into another job. Mm -hmm. Right. So we we have to recognize that we're not putting other people in their place. We're taking up our space.
0: Love, love that. And what a great place to end this part of our conversation. I'm sure we'll have many, many
1: more. Maria, can I ask one, one, one yes. last thing? Yes, of course, Queen. Because Brian, I love your burn journal. And I think that a lot of people mm. would really benefit from you sharing about that and kind of telling us what it is sure. and how we do it.
3: Okay. So most people, even people who think they have a healthy relationship with anger, don't have a healthy relationship with
1: anger.
3: <laughs> right. So I'll ask somebody, do you have a, you have, how's your relationship with anger? And they go, Oh, I've got anger. I, I get angry. I, I don't have any problem with anger. Um, I said, and is your anger proportionate to the circumstance? Ooh, Well, no, I mean, I kind of blow my lid a lot. And I'm like, okay, so you don't have a healthy relationship with anger. Just because you haven't expressed it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy, right? So we have to really kind of first and foremost explore our relationship to anger. More so, it's not, you know, the goal isn't to express it initially. The goal is to develop a relationship with it. And one of the ways that we need to develop a relationship with it is to be able to explore it in a safe environment. And so I came up with this idea of the burn journal which means if push came to shove and anybody had the potential of getting it into their hands, you could throw it in the fire and destroy it because this burn journal needs to feel 100% safe. It is not safe on your phone or your laptop because I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the years who have told me that they secretly have their partner's passwords. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't, think your, don't think your phone and computer is safe. So you want to have it. And what I recommend is a lockbox with a combination because you don't even want to know that there's a spare set of keys that you have to hide because somebody may find that set of keys, right? You want this thing to feel 100% safe. Then anything that goes into this burn journal is anger and all expressions of anger from healthy aggression, uh, protection of others, right, to homicidal rage. There's no rules, there's no law, there's no morals, there's no principles, there's no values, no scruples, anything goes. You can be in explore the most toxic kind of anger or you can explore things like the things that annoy me are, what really pisses me off is, what um, frustrates me is, what disgusts me about such and such is, right? We wanna explore all these shades of gray with an anger get it out of you now it's tangible and real it exists you can hold it in your hands like the first day last week when i held my book when i held my book in my own hands you know it had already sold in seven countries and i hadn't even gotten a copy of it yet Hmm. so when i held it it became real it's tangible so when you get your burn journal your anger becomes real you filled pages you can lock that up and then you can put it on the shelf and you can walk away from it And when you're ready, you can walk back to it and you go, okay, here's my anger. I'm going to get, you know, and then read everything again and start looking at the themes. Now you're starting to get a little bit more curious, a little bit more um, clarity around your relationship to anger. And simultaneously, you're also able to get it out of you. So it's not just this spinning madness inside of you that you feel so much shame about for having. Because shame, one of the functions of shame is to lower affect immediately, sort of lower emotion quickly. So when we're in an angry place and somebody says, how dare you speak to me that way, young lady, right? The shame collapses our anger. So Mm. shame is the underpinning of almost every emotion because we're socialized to come to believe that emotions, that there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So sadness, we're weak. If we're, if we express sadness, you know, boys don't cry. Um, Anger is dangerous. I I can, I can, I can leave scorched earth, et cetera. Or even when you're too
0: big, like I've been shamed for being too big.
3: Right. Right. Taking up too much space or or shining too bright. Right. Um, So, yeah, so we want to, we want to have a hundred percent safe place to explore our relationship to anger and to be able to recognize that we can get it out of us. It is real. It does exist. I can put it away. I can come back to it. And that's the first step of really being able to discover your voice again and to be able to have a place to express it. And then we can start working on the beliefs that you have around it, right? Because a lot of people have the belief that, Um, Anger leads to annihilation, right? It's so big, I will leave scorched earth. So I can't let this lid come off or I am going to devastate the state of California, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, or whoever and whatever is in my path. So we have a lot of beliefs and that's the next piece is as we're figuring out the themes of our anger, we can also start to recognize what our beliefs are that we formed around anger, then we can start calling into question those beliefs. We can start having reparative and corrective experiences by being able to express our anger in healthful ways. If if the three things that are ever present in suicidal ideation is unexpressed anger, futility, and all pervasive toxic shame, one thing that is ever present in anxiety is unexpressed anger. So as you can see within anxiety, and even suicidal ideation, there's this kingpin and it's anger. And we need to have anger. We want anger. We wanna have access to it. We wanna be able to express it healthfully in a timely way so that it doesn't build and become atomic and we devastate people and situations in our lives. So
0: good. All right. Well, I'm already looking forward to the next episode. But in the meantime, <laughs> I cried all the way to happy hour is out and available now. We'll put a link to it in the summary of this episode, as well as Brian's uh, website. So you can get any of the tools on there um, as well. Brian, thank you as always.
3: That's a pleasure.
0: Okay. Queens. How is your relationship to anger? And oh what gosh. do you think about this discussion?
1: My relationship with anger is awful. <laughs> Same. Same? Awful. Same. <laughs> oh my God. When he said, um, or, uns- er, Unexpressed anger is the kingpin in suicidal ideation and anxiety. I was in here like, "Mm, cute. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I have a horrible relationship with anger. So I will be starting my burn journal immediately. Um, Well,
0: and now you live alone, so you don't have to worry anybody's going to come read it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll be working on that.
0: Pooja Queen?
2: The biggest thing for me was the perfectionism Mm -hmm. bomb that he dropped when he was like a lot of kids like... Millennials or I'm just looping in Gen Z, um, how we won't do something because we're so scared we're gonna not do it perfectly. Like mm-hmm. we'd rather just not try because we don't think we can. I was like, oh my god! I was like, yes, that is literally so true. And and I didn't know why because like I didn't ever t- care to think about why. But when he was explaining how we like got all these medals for just doing like app you know, the bare minimum, it's like, of course, like we're in the real world, you're not going to get those rewards for doing like nothing Mm -hmm. when you could just run the race and come dead last and you still win. So like, we expect that we know that's not coming like in the real world. So, and we don't want to face that, you know, so we'd rather just not do it at all and not try. And it's a lot easier just to not try and sit back and not fail at something and have to deal with that. Yeah. Oof.
0: Wow. You know what's so cool about both of you is that instead of being defensive when he was saying all of that stuff, you actually saw the truth in it.
1: Oh god and yeah.
0: are using it to your advantage. Absolutely. Which is so cool.
1: The other thing he said too, the conflating um anger with sadness. Mm-hmm. I used to that was a huge aha moment. I honestly had a couple months ago in therapy. Cause every time my my MO is like I cry. But whenever I cry, I would always be like, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm frustrated. Mm -hmm. But it was because that was how I felt I could express. Yeah. So when he said that, I was like...
0: But at least you knew the difference. At least you knew it was because you were frustrated slash angry or whatever. When the rest of us just thought we were sad. I just was devastated. I'd go to the boss's office and be like,
1: I don't know why they're doing this to me. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good point.
0: Right? Yeah. And I would be so sad that... And I remember one executive being like, stop trying to go to the prom with the guy who's not asking you or doesn't want to go with you when there's a guy who really wants to go to the prom with you. Yeah. And those two prom dates were two massive shows, Mm. but there was one that was more prestigious and more massive. And that guy wanted to take me to the prom. Mm. But I was like so fixated on the guy who didn't want to take me to the prom or who was abusive and nasty. Yep. And, you know, yeah, where your focus goes, energy will flow and that's what you're going to start to feel. So I chose to feel that rather than be like, holy shit, I should be so honored that this guy wants to take me to the prom because this guy is the creme de la creme. (laughs) And why am I focusing on that? Right? Yep. Yep. But when you don't have the tools or the training... Or the gift of getting better every day. How would you know all of this? Or the gift of having someone older pull you aside and say, hey, let me help you here. Right? So, um, yeah, I think it's so, so huge to talk about all of this and and understanding your relationship with anger and what needs to be worked out. Like Kevin, for example, that's where he goes. He has so much pent up anger and a poor relationship with anger that he has to ask me sometimes, like, can I be angry at this person? And I'm like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. you can be angry. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Yep. Yep. Nope. You oh can do God. it. Um, Because he's just like, he doesn't know how to express his anger because anytime he has, he's only been, you know, met with a negative response. So this is going to be so helpful for him to at least hear all of that and then realize, oh, I have, work to do on this relationship? Because that was what I was trying to say in even the last episode is how do you even know what your triggers are? How do you even know what your traumas are? Sometimes some people don't know. Some people don't know what they feel in their body. I was talking to someone super successful the other day and they were like, yeah, I went to this healing thing. I'm like, well, did it work? And he, and he goes, I don't know. Cause I don't know how to connect with my body to feel the difference. And I remember those feelings because when you're working so crazily you're so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and when you have a lot of wounds, you're disconnecting. So you don't feel the wounds. So, and the wounds you're feeling, because they're physio- physiological, like he talks about. So if they're physiological, you're disassociating from your body. So you don't feel all of them because there's the landmines in there that are, are ready to pop off. So if I disassociate and I come out of it, I won't feel it. I won't pop off. I can survive, but we never really thrive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 Mm. yeah. It's a
0: lot. It's a lot. But I hope you all learned how to set and protect your boundaries and how to keep working that muscle. All of these things we're learning are in like new muscles. And by the way, every time we're learning something, like he said, um, we're creating new wiring in our brains. And so um, that's really, really, really huge. So we get to do this every day. and We have a little bit of fun along the way. All right. The book is called I Cried All the Way to Happy Hour. It's available now. We'll put a link to it in the episode, as well as a link to his website if you want to look into more tools. Um, And I think that's it, friends. Be nice people, make good choices, and be present.